0: church Good oh that was nice thank you. Um, I am uh, doing the second message here in our Dwell series. For those of you who are new with us, my name is Jamie Lilly, and I am one of the pastors on the adult ministry team. Um, I get to do a lot of really fun things. I do a lot of things, actually, that are big and small and everything in between, and I genuinely have a good time doing all of it. Um, And uh, one of my favorite things that I get to do um, is actually talk to you guys, Uh, so. So if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm also on our teaching team. Um, and uh, I just am really glad that you guys are here today. Um, this message is going to be a lot different than a usual Sunday message. Um, so just bear with me and uh, just really lower your expectations of, no, just kidding. Um Uh, So this series, Dwell, when we sat down to decide um, what do we want this series um, to be and what do we want our church to take away from it, we decided that we wanted it to be exegetical. Ah, does anybody know that word? We wanted it to be exegetical. Um, a look at a deep dive into the study of Isaiah chapter 58 to see what it says. And we wanted it to be expository, meaning that we do that deep dive for you and then we uh, explain or present the findings. Um, So my hope is that today, um, that we don't just learn what the Bible says, but that we actually learn how to read the Bible. And the reason for that is because uh, I am, uh, there's not anything special about me. Um, All of the things that uh, we do to preach from this stage and to teach you, we've looked up. Somebody else has looked up and figured out the answers to them. Historians and scholars and academics. People with questions about how the world works, how we work in the world. And theologians asking the questions of who is God and how does God work in the world. So I wanted to do today's message um, in a very teaching style because... Because we can all do this, and I think it's really important that when we approach the Bible, that we really can get it, get everything out of it that we can, and you can do that. Um, So we only have one verse to look at today, uh, which is a challenge and uh, gives us some positive things, but also has some limitations for us. If you would like to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, you can do that now. We are looking at verse six. Verses six and seven are a coupling that really should be read together and probably teached, taught together. Um, but we are just going to look at verse Verse six is uh, the verse where we are breaking down deconstructing a system of oppression that's been oppressing a people group um, for a while. So we, in doing that deconstruction, we are going to be laying the theological foundation for what happens in verse 7 which is not where we get to go today. Verse seven will happen next week where Alex gets to come and pick up all of the pieces of everything that we've torn apart and he gets to package it all together, reconstruct it and hopefully give us uh, some nice presentation of why we even tore things down in the first place. So if we get to the end of today and you feel like we're on a cliffhanger or you feel like that was messy, you are right where you are supposed to be. Okay, so let's dive in. How and why do we read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? Some of us have read the Bible in its entirety. Some of us have read just a few verses. Some of us in this room have never read the Bible, ever. When you read the Bible, did you find it relevant? Maybe, maybe not. There are some incredibly inspirational sections in the Bible and there are some incredibly confusing and frustrating sections as well. But the good news is, is that if we know how to read the Bible, then those frustrating bits can become a little bit smoother and easier to understand and hopefully will gain some value for us in our lives. The Bible is the most popular book in the world It is the top seller year after year, and that's why it's not on the list, because it would take first place every year. So it doesn't even make the list anymore. It is the top seller around the globe, and yet there are places in the world where people can't read the Bible, and people to this day are still losing their lives over it. For a book with such importance, shouldn't we want to know what it says and how to discover that? Well, I think you do, because last week at the Info Center, um, I had a couple people that came up to to the Info Center and asked for their very first Bible. This was last week, brand new Bibles. And then shortly after that, Ruth came up, shout out to Ruth, and she had a whole list of incredibly detailed, deep questions about authors and books and structure of the Bible. All that to say, we are a people representing the full spectrum of faith. And sometimes it's good to go back to the basics. So welcome to class everyone. What is exegesis? Exegesis is a way to study and read the Bible which includes asking questions. We're gonna ask a lot of questions today and I'm not going to give you all of the answers. It involves learning about context, and understanding culture. It's a deep dive into sentence structure and exactly what type of uh, themes and text we're looking at. Often you're gonna use inductive study practices, which is uh, we approach the text first by observing what it says, then interpreting, and then applying it. Exegesis recognizes and honors the history and the tradition and the validity of the Bible outside of just an inspirational or like motivational talk on a Sunday morning. Reading the Bible just to have it speak to you is actually the wrong way of reading the Bible. Exegetical questions must be answered before questions of theology and application can legitimately be asked. So, how to do exegesis. I have six steps for you. If you did uh, turn to Isaiah 58, uh, we are going to read verse 6. We're also going to have it thrown up on the screen. It says, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and break every yoke? Step one asks the question, what is the text? Well, there are three categories of text, prescriptive, descriptive, and corrective. In this case, we actually have to look outside of our one verse, shocker, uh, to understand the verses around it to actually get to what this is. So if you remember Bo's message from last week um, where we kicked off the series, and if you weren't here or didn't watch it, I really encourage you to go back. It's on our website. Um, She gave us the context of this passage. So we are in a place, a region called Levant, which is a collection of a lot of different kingdoms. Um, Israel being one of those kingdoms in the north. It is a place familiar, a land familiar with war and has some significant um, holy representation there. Our context is also a people. It's God's people. A people with a history of exile and wandering and a lot of questions like, who are we? And will God keep his promises? Based on this context, we know that verse six is prescriptive and corrective at the same time. So it's corrective in that Isaiah is calling out the way that the people were being. So corrective, you are doing these things. And prescriptive in these are the way things ought to be. In step one, you can also spend time looking at translations and uh, textual criticism and all sorts of more historical and academic sources. But for the sake of today, we will move on to step two. Step two, we ask the question, what is the genre? The Bible is composed of many different types of literature. It's written by many different authors over many years. Big picture, it's split into two sections. You have the Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, and you have the New Testament, which is everything during and after Jesus. Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament, and it falls into the category of our major prophets. Something to know about prophecy? Prophecy is not always future-telling. Sometimes it's also present-telling, and sometimes it's both. Prophets don't always know the application of the word they receive. They just have to say what it is. Uh, The Old Testament is predominantly Hebrew and Hebrew culture. And in Hebrew culture, they viewed history as if sitting in a rowboat. So you can imagine sitting in a rowboat, I'm going forward, but I'm actually going back as I'm rowing. So as Hebrew culture is examining uh, history, they're seeing it kind of passing by as it's happening. So they're looking this way. The New Testament, on the other hand, is predominantly Greek culture and relates a lot to kind of how we function in society today, where we view history as more linearly. So we are looking ahead at where we're going and why golly are we going there. When it comes to the Lord giving words to prophets and speaking to the people, um, it's really in a beautiful mix of both of these things, a mix of time and history kind of dancing together um, and using whatever context the prophet or the people are um, to tell it. So again, sometimes it's both. The Lord might reveal something to us to better understand our past, to um, understand our future or make, or make meaning of our present or prepare us for the future. To prophesy is to have your spirit attuned with the spirit of God. It's to have your eyes open and your soul opened to a move of God, to listen to what the spirit is saying and to see what the spirit shows you. This is true of Isaiah. Isaiah. In the first five verses, he is seeing and naming what's happening in their society. In verse six, he names what doesn't represent the kingdom of heaven. So we know our genre is prophetic, we can move on. Step three, we ask the question, what is the historical cultural context? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. So what kind of question should we be asking here? Who's oppressed? Who are the oppressors? What is the injustice? What's a yoke? Well, there are some versions of the the Bible that uh, use different words like wickedness instead of injustice, a lot that talk about um, the conditions of the workplace and treatment of workers. And all of them call to free the people who have been imprisoned unfairly. Remember, Isaiah is talking to Israel, both the place, but in this case, the people. They knew the nearness of the Lord and eventually went back to their wicked ways. Again, recall last week, they have mixed their pagan worship with their worship of Yahweh. This is their cultural context, and it's looking a little worldly. They are using fasting as a currency, thinking that when they fast, they can get from God what they want that they can make God do what they want. And they could care less about the humanity of the people in their way. The shift that we see in verse six offers fasting that doesn't just benefit the individual, but actually benefits others. This is the culture of the kingdom of heaven. This is really good. God actually is blowing up Our understanding of what's good and what's good for us by giving a totally different framework. And so we ask the question can they be truly in step with the Holy Spirit if they're treating people so terribly? This brings us to step four, where we ask the question what's the meaning? What does the author wa- Why does the author want this to be known? Well, we'll get to this later in the series, but Isaiah 58 is a call to be repairers of the streets. This means to make whole what has been broken and to build a dwelling for the people to be at home in the presence of God and in the presence of the people of God. Verse six is a way to make that happen. The people's actions are not lining up with the transforming heart work that is distinctive of following God. So Isaiah has to bring it to light and he has to explain the true way to live. And this is a draw into the community that God intended for the people. But it's really important that we recognize that Isaiah bringing this to light is a breaking down of the system this is rough and kind of aggressive, like in the best way. He has to call them out on what they're doing and say, this has to be broken down, teared down, burned to ash in order that this whole system might be reconstructed. So simply, the meaning, the point, is to identify the system, for them to stop doing that thing, and to make right what they have made wrong because of it. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Loosen, untie, set free. This is a progression of freedom. So you imagine uh, ropes knotted up so tightly that the first thing you have to do is start working it before you can do anything else. You have to disrupt the loops. You've gotta push and pull and loosen it up. And then you have to actually untie it, and you have to find the ends. Where does the, how far does this thing run? Pull it back, loop it through, untie however much work that's gonna take, untangle and make straight, and then set free no longer is what was once held captive, captive anymore. And then it says, break every yoke. A yoke is a mechanism um, that was attached to an animal, usually an ox, um, and put on the front of a plow in order to do work. To say that the yoke is broken is to imply that there's no going back. This is the completion of the freedom offered. Now, the system that was once holding captive cannot hold captive anymore. Until the yoke is broken, we could go back to exactly the thing that has held us captive. The yoke has to be broken. There has to be a final moment of setting the captives free, setting the oppressed free, in the breaking down of the system in order that it might not happen again. It's speaking of the system at play and how under the layers you find a system that needs to be broken in order to be built up. In this section, we also ask how this passage relates to the rest of the Bible. So jump to the book of Matthew, and in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Aha. Sound familiar? You'll find a lot of times in Matthew um, that Jesus is likened to Israel. Jesus actually claims to be a fulfillment of the prophecy, um, prophecies in In the book of Isaiah, um, he quotes the book of Isaiah. So Jesus saying this is actually directly calling back to the verse that we're looking at today. In this specific instance, Jesus is referring to this prophecy of Isaiah calling out an oppressive system and Jesus' response is, in my kingdom, I offer a system of freedom. What you lose, and let go of is the heaviness and the burdensome ways of the world and what you gain is compassion and rest. This is God's way of giving the truth about who God is and about who we are. So we wonder what does this teach about us about God? What does this teach us about us? How do we dwell with God? And how do we dwell with one another? We can easily understand the place that Israel has found themselves in, culturally trying to figure out how to exist. How do I keep profit high and cost low? How do I build a life that is substantial? How can I provide for my family and be a good friend? And what's the legacy I'm leaving? Do I just mix in a little bit of spirituality to feel like I'm right with God? How often do you find yourself bartering with God and asking the same questions? I've done everything right, but I don't see the outcome I expected. I prayed, I fasted, God didn't move. We are just as confused as they are sometimes. Sometimes we're really close to getting things right. In this case, the Israelites are really close. They're fasting. But as we established, they're doing it wrong. In a general sense, fasting is the emptying of yourself. And in some religious practices, that's the whole goal, to empty yourself to be clear of mind. But in Christianity... The point of emptying ourselves is in order that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit. We actually voluntarily enter into a place of deprivation in order that Christ might fill us up with what we need and not just what we want. And at the forefront of that is God's own spirit. This is where we get to experience true freedom. Step five. What is the theological principle? The choice to follow God means to submit to his ways, believing they are true and good and right and beautiful, even when we don't fully understand. We are to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pursue righteousness, practice justice, and to show mercy to everyone. This call to love does not refer to warm feelings or abstract ideas. It is clear headed action toward God and others that is rooted in Jesus's sacrificial action on our behalf to set the captives free. Step six, how does this apply to us? As followers of Jesus, We must be aware of the systems that benefit us and harm us. We have to take responsibility in our community. We have to understand what our spiritual practices are. And we have to be accountable to discernment and correction. So what are the concrete actions we can take to break the yoke? Have a check-in with your spiritual life. Is it merely performative? check in with your relationships. Our connections should give an invitation to one another into a space of non-judgmental emptying through confession, drawing us closer to the justice of God. Be open to the discernment and correction of your friends. Remember that the boundaries set by God remain unchanged. They serve to protect us from harm for ourselves and to prevent us from causing harm to others. In fact, these principles can often be seen as safeguards against what could be categorized as crimes against humanity, much like those mentioned in the Isaiah passage. In Isaiah, we witness a people who strayed far from the right path, prompting God to call them back into right relationship with him and with each other. This is the underlying story of the Bible. It's good to wrestle with the Bible. It's good to be curious. It's good to ask questions. However, Jesus warns us in John 5, verses 39 and 40. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When we study... When we pray, when we fast, whatever it may be, Jesus must be the center, and we should be led to build his kingdom. He is the one who willingly gave up his life for us, deeply caring about humanity's restoration and the mending of what has been broken. Throughout history, all signs have pointed to him, and all of creation leans toward him and his kingdom. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Today, as we prepare to take communion together, I want us to keep this in mind. This sacrament represents the pinnacle of Jesus' self sacrifice for the well being of others. It symbolizes the ultimate realization of justice and freedom and the breaking of oppressive yokes, there's no turning back. If you'd like to participate in communion today, you can grab your elements now. Um, And if you did not grab one and you would like one, you can just pop your hand up and an usher will bring those around right now as I open my juice. The night before his trial and execution, Jesus gathered his disciples to share bread and wine. Yet, on this occasion, these elements take on a new significance. They represent his body and his blood. Before we do this, let's take a moment of stillness. So maybe you wanna close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. In this moment, I invite you to contemplate that which has held you captive and burdened your soul consumed your thoughts, take this opportunity to allow the Lord to empty you of that heavy burden. And if you'd like and feel comfortable, there's a prayer that we're going to throw up on the screen really simply, and you can pray this, um, just you don't have to pray it out loud unless you want to, um, but it just says, Lord, empty me of the things that I've held on to that are not of you. So we're going to take this moment of stillness, and um, as we do that, I want you to really Bear your soul to the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to you the things that have burdened you or maybe the ways that you have hurt others. Allow the Lord to reveal to you that you can be healed of those things, but the first thing that you have to do is recognize them, name them, and give them over to the Lord. Now in contemplating the sacrifice of Jesus, we take the bread. And contemplating the freedom that he offers us, we take the cup. typically end our services with a benediction, um, but I thought today maybe we could do something a little different. So if you feel comfortable, would you stand with me? And we are going to pray aloud um, this prayer together. Okay, all together. Thanks be to God, His kingdom is just. Thanks be to Christ, the righteous Son of God, my Savior, my friend. (laughs) Thanks be to the Holy Spirit, my comforter and my helper. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that your presence is good that when you meet us in times of correction and prescription, that you meet us with gentleness, that when we say yes to you, that you release us of the burdens, you release us of the things that hold us captive and that you create a way where that yoke is broken and no longer can hold us captive anymore. Thank you, Lord for the freedom that you offer us and the freedom that you invite us to be a part of. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we don't get to package up what happens after we call out what is... uh, what's been broken in verse six. Instead, we get to do that in verse seven. So, uh, please come back next week. Um, Pastor Alex is gonna teach us uh, verse seven and the implications of it. And to prepare us for that, because I told you I brought you to class today, I have homework for you. This is what I'd like for you to do this week as you pray. One, ask the Lord what you should fast from and be open to actually hearing what the Lord might reveal to you. And two, ask the Lord what to pray for. A lot of the times we go into prayer thinking that it's us just talking to God, but prayer is a space for us to actually listen to God. And the Lord actually might put something on your heart that's unique to you that your words and your heart and your soul need to be poured into. So what is it that you should fast? And what is it that you should pray for? And then we'll come back next week and we'll learn how to do those things. Um, If you have any questions about the men's event or the Christian Network business, the things that Joe was talking about at the beginning. um or the women's event that's coming up on this friday uh please head out to the info center um if you need prayer or have questions or you just want to talk to somebody we're gonna have elders up at the front um and we would just love to walk alongside you thank you so much for being here today i love you deeply go in peace